Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I gotta tell you, we have a, we have a great uh, guest on today, and it's funny, he's one of the actors, and it seems, I think he may have started somewhat of the trend, that he doesn't live in L.A. or New York City. And lately, I think during the pandemic, everyone's been bolting out of those areas because they figured they can audition on tape. But he's been where he is for 10 years, and I think he was one of the first that actually said, eh, I'm tired of Hollywood, I'm tired of New York City. And my guest is Jim, Jim True Frost. How you doing, Jim? Hey, Steve. I'm good. I'm really glad to be talking to you today. I'm very, I'd be very surprised if I was the first. I'm sure a lot of people before me did similar things for similar reasons. But, uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm probably a little bit of an outlier and maybe less of one now because I think you're right. More people are doing that. Now, when you first moved, how was it for auditioning? Because you think about 10 years ago, you said you've been in Syracuse for 10 years. You don't, yeah. you don't, there wasn't taped auditions, but it's all about the room. Now everything's taped. How did you go about, I mean, I know, you know, The Wire, you probably got a lot of offers after that, but how did you manage your career being, and it's not even like Syracuse is close to New York City. It's still a four or five hour ride. Exactly. Yeah. It It's funny because it really was just starting to transition. Now it's completely been uh, uh, upended and everybody's taping even if you live in new york city you're asked to tape an audition for a new york casting director some of the time um but when i was start when i moved here and actually to be honest i moved to the boston area and lived there for six years before we even moved here 10 years ago so i've been out of new york for a long time um and there were there was some taping you know there was it wasn't it was still out of the ordinary but it wasn't unheard of so it wasn't um unusual for my agent to say you know there's a there's a thing uh you could come in for the audition if you can and if you can't uh, they're happy to see you tape once in a while they would say uh they really do want you to come in if you possibly can uh more often they would say they don't care either come or don't you know take yourself these days, it's just a, it's just an assumption. It's just uh, take yourself for this thing. It's not even discussed. You know, a lot of people really loved the room. You know, the audition room. Now, you, as you said, you've been taping for a while because you've been out of it. But were you a fan of the room, or do you prefer self taping? I'm very, uh, very much on the fence. To be honest, there's there's something great about being able to control your audition and and uh you know tape it over again and get it looking just the way you want and and uh you can't do that in the room obviously you do it and then you walk out and you're you're um you give it your best shot there's something great about that too though because your your energy is up you're you're it's like you know the, the game has started and the, the clock is ticking so you, you have a kind of heightened sense of the pressure or the stakes um, and then the thing that really is missing if you're just taping for yourself is any kind of relationship. So yeah, I really miss, and that is something I, I think is a strength. I, I mean, I, I'm not great at, you know, networking per se. I, I'm kind of an introvert, but I do think I, I'm good at listening to directions. You know, I can sense what, and, uh, and intuit when I'm talking to a director in the room you know, what they might be looking for and make adjustments to my performance. Having said that, nine times out of 10, you're not getting notes in an audition room. You're, you, you, you might be able to make some impression with your 
you know, outside of the performance itself, just with your energy or the connection you make with the, the people in the room. But more often than not, it's just you're walking into a casting director's office. They're turning on the camera and saying, OK, thanks for coming, Jim. We'll we'll send this to the director and producers and we'll we'll let you know what they say. So so you don't even have the benefit of those those, um, you know, eye to eye you know, energetic things that can happen in the room. So all things being said, I, I'm fine with the way it is. There's, and it's kind of an inevitability for me just because of my life choices. So it, I, I don't see it um, as a great, you know, cost or benefit. It's just kind of the way I do things. And, and luckily for me, though, it's turned out to be a loyal, the business is done most of the time anyway. Well, now, you know, in the early days when you were in the room, do you think that your background in theater helped that? I mean, because, you know, I always talk to actors who have been in theater and then moved to TV. And, you know, when, when you're in theater, you have to deliver it. I mean, you know, if you screw up, it's not cut, cut, take one. You're screwed up. I used, I used to do stand-up comedy, and I did a show for the first time in two and a half years a few weeks ago. And if I screw up, I can't sit there and go, oh, wait, 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 crowd, reset yourself. You know, same with theater. Do you think that that helps you when you would go into these audition rooms because you've, you're playing, you know how to play a crowd? Um. Yeah, I think there is something to be said for that. I, I think... Um, if, if nothing else, the sense of the 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 kind of the magic or the the uh, ephemeral kind of ineffable, you know, moment of of acting, you know, there you you really appreciate that in theater in a way that you don't um, when you're working on camera, unless you have already worked in the theater. So yeah, I think you bring that to auditions. I bring that to auditions. That sense of the curtain going up and something unpredictable and possibly great happening. Um, on the other hand, nothing prepared me for auditioning or working in front of a camera as much as working in front of a camera. You know, I, my theater training is, and my theater experience, you know, I, I came out of high school with a, a long list of, you know, experiences doing a lot of plays and then started college and started working right away doing theater in Chicago. So I did several professional productions while I was in college. And this was all, uh, I mean, professional Chicago theater productions. Um, at the same time, I was starting to get my first uh, TV and film roles. And, and absolutely, the theater work, you know, sort of, underlies everything I still do, even when I'm on camera. On the other hand, the the craft of acting in front of a camera is 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 so specific that it, 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 no matter how I find, no matter how much confidence I have in my sort of acting chops or, or whatever skills I've gained by doing different roles and plays, um, there's something so... <laughs> tricky about acting in front of a camera that just you just have to do to get that, that hang up and I still feel you know 30 years into my career like I'm kind of just starting to get it you know it's it's just a it's you know like any craft it's like you really you really need to just do it over and over and over and over again so the more the more the more chances I've had to say play a recurring part like a, my regular part on the wire 
or you know i did 10 episodes of a show called um hostages where you know it was not a a big or interesting character in terms of the psychology of the character but the repeated you know getting to go back to work oh i'm doing another episode i'm doing another episode and just that repeated getting in front of the camera or this show uh, american odyssey that i did same thing where i was a regular and just got that repeated repeated you know time in front of the camera you know that those were the super value you know more as much as doing Chekhov or shakespeare or sam shepherd or you know these great theater experiences which can really fund the the kind of soul work and the and the imagination work of, of acting it's the um the time in front of the camera that kind of seems like the essential s- skill craft you know work that that is going to make you uh more makes me more and more confident about you know getting a performance the way i want it now what you know you said you started you know in high school you're getting work what what drew you to acting i mean were, were you always as a little kid did you want to be an actor or how did you gravitate into it that in, you know because in high school we all do different things and I, I talk to people you know i see on facebook they're now they're doing community theater after years and i'm like yeah but that's yeah. fine but then like well they were actors in high school but then they went into their own gig you know they had their whole life now they're going oh man i never went to hollywood or new york so i want to you know i want to get this out you know when yeah. I'm over 50 what drew you yeah. to uh, what drew you to theater and then to actually when you started in high i mean did you start in high school or were you younger i started in like uh junior high middle school time doing community you know sort of community theater plays and then in high school doing all the high school plays and musicals and i guess it was a combination of things i was i was interested in sports as well but it just didn't you know i either wasn't promising enough or talented enough that i wasn't getting the sort of success and and feedback that made me just crave doing more and more sports or maybe it was simply that i was not meant to be you know i was meant to be an artist more than I was a, an athlete. So in terms of like just sort of school extracurricular stuff, it was just absolutely what I wanted to do. Yeah. After doing a bunch of children's theater plays before high school, it would be, it had become a kind of, you know, an activity that I just, that I loved doing and was doing well at. And it was a combination of the kind of, you know, the growing nascent, appreciation for the for the really deepest elements of what the theater art is and storytelling and imagination and building a character and uh, all those elements of the craft that were were challenging and, and interesting to me and then also the social element you know it was it became my my club you know is that that's what i that's where i made friends and that's where i had fun and goofed off with people and saw myself reflected and you know just had a, a world that i belonged to um so it was yeah all those things wrapped up and i and i i also loved singing and dance i took dance in high school as well so doing musicals doing dance concerts playing in bands doing plays it was all very much sort of where my head and heart were at all through that early part of my life so having said that i didn't I didn't come out of high school, even though I'd been gung ho and done a ton of stuff. I didn't come out saying, where do I go next? And how do I do this acting thing? I want to be an actor. It was it was a little more like 
I don't know what real life and grown up life is. I don't know what I want to be. And then I found myself getting jobs and I said, well, I guess I'll do this. You know, I guess I can do this. I guess this is an actual, an actual calling or an actual uh, pursuit. Um, I mean, I knew during college years, I would keep doing things and exploring things. I went to Northwestern for a couple of years while I started doing plays in Chicago. I was studying under Frank Galati and the other really amazing professors of the performance studies department, which has students performing non-dramatic texts. So instead of getting into the acting program at Northwestern, I was in this program, which a lot of great actors have come out of, but which is not an essentially, uh, you know, a conservatory or training program for actors. It's more of a, a literary and uh, performance art kind of uh, pursuit where you do a lot of reading and a lot of adapting poetry, adapting short stories, adapting chapters from novels and um, doing chamber theater kind of things. So you're, you're really exploring. That's what I wanted to do when I was at college. And, and I had a feeling that could serve me as an actor, but I also just was fascinated. I knew I loved literature and would do stories from, you know, Flaubert or, uh, uh, John Steinbeck or, you know, all kinds of things. Um, or E.E. E. Cummings poetry and Dylan Thomas poetry, I started setting to music and, and performing as songs. So, you know, I had a kind of performance artist kind of um, interest that caught during the beginning of college at sort of just exploring all kinds of uh, aspects of performance. But I got a cast in a play at Steppenwolf. I got a cast in a play at the Goodman Theater in Chicago and Remains Theater and the Wisdom Bridge Theater and worked with some great, great Chicago actors and actors coming in from out of town like Brian Dennehy, who was starting his run of plays with Bob Falls at the Goodman in Chicago. In Chicago. And so I, you know, kind of, found a rut i have found a, a groove i found a rut <laughs> sometimes it's a rut sometimes it's a groove i guess it's perspective and that's that that was all you know that was i guess the rest is history and i just kind of said well this is where i'm going tell me about the chicago theater scene you know it's funny people i, I talked to terry kenny a while back and there's people mm -hmm. from chicago and and you know as an outsider as you know if us in entertainment, we call them civilians. Civilians always think of Chicago as, you know, oh, improv, you know, Second City, which it had a mm -hmm. great thing, and, you know, improv would think it. But the yeah. the actors that have come out of Chicago, like you mentioned Steppenwolf and these theaters, tell me about getting immersed in that scene, because I know you've worked with some great actors when you, I mean, Steppenwolf, I mean, that that's, that's an amazing cast. I mean, how did you attack all that was it easy for you to get in there and then did it really build you long-lasting relationships yeah absolutely um i did my first steppenwolf play around the time i would have been a, a junior in, at northwestern actually i was a junior at northwestern until i got that play and then i dropped out because i'd been doing plays for two and a half years while trying to go to college and not not managing um, so yeah, I, I knew and was already really sort of energized by this Chicago theater scene that had grown up in the previous sort of 10 years to when I was there. So this was middle eighties and sometime in the middle seventies, 
David Mamet started writing his first plays. Um, there were, uh, you know, a number of storefront style, you know, small, what you'd call off-off Broadway kind of theaters, as well as a couple of established bigger theaters like like the Goodman Theater. Um, and and it was a fire, you know, it was a, it was burning and it was growing, you know, this 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 reputation uh, that Chicago had for just being a real hotbed of of interesting, vital kind of uh, visceral, strong mm-hmm. theater production with with, you know, with modest productions, you know, with with kind of with, without you know, and being driven by actors, you know, companies that were founded by actors, you know, rather than uh, any kind of tradition based in, you know, playwrights or design designers or directors, you know, it, it certainly um, fostered a lot of great designers and directors. But this idea of the actor as being sort of the primer, primary element um, was was very strong in Chicago and and was growing. Yeah, so so I got a part in a play that had um, no oh one it had two two Steppenwolf ensemble members in it: Rick Snyder and Al Wilder. And during that time, you know, and then did a couple more that same year. Got to know people like. Terry Kinney, who you know, and, and John Malkovich and Gary Sinise and Joan Allen and Lori Metcalf, John Mahoney. Um, they they all were still doing plays there and some st- are still doing plays there. Some have passed away, but some are and some have moved on and just sort of said, oh, that's kind of in my past that my career has gone somewhere else. But a great number of the Steppenwolf company members really it's, it's been 40 years now and more and and they still just think of it as their home company and go back when they can to direct a play or act in a play yeah so making those relationships and learning from those those the that style of acting and those those actors who who really valued you know kind of a reverence and humor a certain kind of humor and and uh was was a big part of you know what I, what grounded me and what, what, um, what I was able to go back to as I started getting TV and film parts. You know, I got a part in The Accidental Tourist with, with William Hurt and Gina Davis when I was like around that time or even before that in my freshman year at Northwestern. The part ended up getting cut <laughs> and, uh, and I kind of got my two first big lessons. You know, one was, wow, I can, I can I'm, I'm making it. I got a big part in a Hollywood movie auditioning in chicago i got it through connections i made doing chicago theater so everything was kind of i was seeing how pieces could fit together and i could you know at least had a chance at getting some kind of success or at least an entree into the um the world of movies and tv but at the same time had this you know very chicago like lesson of like hey don't don't count on anything don't count on, <laughs> don't even count on your part being in the movie when it comes out um just do it for the work do it for the experience try to get better at what you do uh make friends make relationships but you know the kind of uh fame and and uh, and success uh, aspects of the business right from the beginning for me were just kind of, you know, just kind of not big considerations. 
Now, where were you living when you booked singles? I was, I booked it in LA, but I hadn't moved there. You know, in that time, like the late eighties, early nineties, I would go out to LA for a couple months at a time and camp at a friend's house and do as many auditions as I could get. And this was at one of those times. So I was actually able to go to the studio and read for um, the casting director and director there. So I was still, you know, I still considered myself a Chicagoan and, you know, and probably was somewhat benefiting from that. You know, it was a time when Chicago theater and it's, and it's, you know, and it's ability to, to grow, you know, interesting and serious actors was, was growing. So, um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't feel any huge need to move to LA. I ended up, I ended up eventually feeling like I did need to get out of Chicago and needed to either move to LA or, or New York in order to, you know, be more available more of the time for more movies and TV. But yeah, that was in singles was like uh, 1990, I think, or um, 90. Two. Um, yeah, I was I was in uh, just just uh, haunting the audition studios of L.A. at the time. What was your experience on that set? Because that was a Cameron Crowe movie, and 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 that scene right then, grunge was like blowing up. And you know, if yeah. it's a Cameron Crowe movie, people are going to go watch it if we're at a certain age. I mean, was it? I mean, it's just one of those things. And I loved grunge, and I'm I'm, I'm fifty eight, and I but I loved that whole scene. I remember seeing the movie. What was that like, you know, because you're sitting there, you're, you're in, you're, it's, you're part of pop culture somewhat because that whole yeah. movie, what is that like when you're on set? Do you feel that? Or is it to you, it's just another day? I mean, what is it, what was it like on that set? My memory is I, I was, you know, because of the stature or of the, or the, you know, the size of the production and the, you know, definite gloss of, of, or uh, shine of having be a Cameron Crowe movie and Matt Dillon in this movie and Campbell Scott and Bridget Fonda, and Kira Sedgwick, I, you know, I, I felt like really thrilled, you know, it was like, it just felt so, I was really excited to be a part of it. I thought it was a funny and fun script. I love music and obviously it's a movie that was written by and because of, Cameron Crowe's love for music. I mean, it's a real love letter to the music world. It, it turns, you know, grunge in Seattle in particular in that case. But Cameron just uh, just loves music and knows so much about it and can write so intelligently about it. And that that was the lens for this movie. So it really just felt totally in the pocket. As far as the, you know, I, I, I'm never comfortable with, like, pop culture being either inside or out of outside of it so yeah you know I, I did feel like um like there was something you know something special about it you know being standing around with matt dylan and and seeing people just one after the other passers-by stop him to to tell him they loved his work and this or that um and just the the joy of of crafting the, the role and and enjoying the, the comedy of the material it was really really fun campbell scott and i um have stayed friends and i've worked with him again a couple of times on things i really adored doing so so that was a uh, you know one of the times in, in my career which 
I've, I've come to see are the most important things, which is, you know, making relationships that you're able to repeat and, and, and that last so that, you know, your, your friendships grow and also your ability to, to do work together grows. Like I was saying about Steppenwolf, you know, I have people that I've done, did my first play with 30 or 40 years ago that I might do a play with again next year, you know, and it's, it's just amazing to have that kind of uh, continuity and you know i think all actors share that that um you know that um they, they treasure that that side of the work you know the kind of repeated relationships and the way the work can deepen uh campbell directed me in a movie called off the map it i think it was his first he may have done something before that but this was sort of a he got a decent budget together and he got Joan Allen and Sam Elliott to play the, the two adult uh, leads. And then there was a child lead um, and it was took place in um, Taos, New Mexico, a place I had never been before and just kind of fell into under the spell of, you know, it's just an amazing, mysterious and beautiful place um, and a beautiful story. It was a play that Campbell knew of or had directed or been in or something called off the map and he uh he said you know i need to adapt this and make a movie out of it and he and he did it's a beautiful small and and heartfelt and funny offbeat little independent um yeah that that's 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 kind of where i go when i think of singles you know it was a great time um it was a it, and to tell you the truth it was another one of those early career lessons about the promise and also the the, sh the fragileness of, of, of things that happen, because like you said, sure, I, I, I avoided it a second ago when I answered your question and said, oh, I'm not comfortable with, you know, being at the heart of pop culture or whatever. But for sure, that was kindled in me. You know, I was like, oh, man, am I going to am I going to be a star? You know, is this going to be giant and is it going to lead to more parts and stuff? And, um, you know, like everything else I've done. It's just another piece in the puzzle. You know, it's nothing has been definitive. Nothing was the big break. Nothing um, turned things around, including that movie. And, you know, that movie also had its disappointments. I had, you know, it was a, a number of sort of episodic scenes with different characters having their own storylines and two really funny interesting offbeat key scenes for my character ended up getting cut from the movie and I had a much smaller part than I thought I was going to have. And, um, you know, it would probably never would have led to, even if those had scenes had stayed, it probably wouldn't have led to, you know, some breakout role or anything like that. But having lot watched them go away was, you know, it was kind of heartbreaking. Um, but in the long run, it was just, you know, more of the same. It's like you do these parts and you keep going. Well, you know, you think you're, you're a young actor. Then you also work with the Coen Brothers and Hudsucker Proxy. I mean, yeah. you know, as a young actor, you got to sit there and go, you know, you're working with you're working with the best. I mean, you know, it says something about your talent. What was is what is that like? Because I've heard like the Coen Brothers. You, I think Cameron, you can probably improvise, but I heard the Coen Brothers. You just stick to the script. I mean, I, yeah, I, totally. I just say, go. So, what is that like when you go? I mean, you're 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 young, but you're getting with these. Yeah, that was just a couple a couple years later, or maybe a year later. I, I again was in LA when when I was able to audition for Ethan and Joel Cohen, and um, and I'd had uh, you know, a real fan, of, uh, you know, a real 
sort of like you know hero worship for those guys after like uh barton fink and um blood simple and miller's crossing i just thought they were incredible and i still do so i was again very very felt extremely fortunate and elated to get the part um and maybe a little wiser already at you know age 24 or whatever um about the idea that well you know as huge as this is for me it it isn't necessarily going to be the you know the the launching pad of some new life where i'm uh buying houses and cars so i just loved it for what it was which was a really (laughs) sort of larger than life uh character part that i got to just kind of be silly in and that point you made is exactly was the kind of the heart of the of the lesson for me from them was just this real dedication to uh very specific um you know very specific performance for sure where I, I needed to rehearse the heck out of it and really make this you know, uh, this kind of theatrical performance grounded for the film, for, for the camera. Um, and, and also just to watch them work, you know, watch them look at storyboards and see, oh my God, they're going shot by shot for, for some, uh, you know, something that they've actually drawn out. And, uh, you know, they know, you know, not only the angle, but, you know, the degrees of, of the angle you know it's it's like it's it's storyboarded within an inch of its life and i find it you know endlessly um instructive to to see how really life-filled creative imaginative work can be so carefully made you know so carefully crafted so yeah i i i that was a that was a thrill that was a joy now, you're working, you're an actor, you're getting gigs. How does The Wire come about? How, how does that, and, and, you know, because that's one of those shows, again, everyone forgets HBO wasn't so giant back then, you know? I mean, I had HBO, but a lot of, it wasn't like it is now. But how did The Wire come about? It was, it, was it from when your guest star on Homicide, or how did, how did The Wire come about for you? Yeah, um, I think it was not long after you know maybe a year or two or three after I had done an episode on homicide just a sort of guest guest starring thing where I just was a um unsuspecting homeowner who's who the you know the homicide cops knock on the door and say hey we need to stake out the property next door and so while they're doing a stakeout there's just this kind of funny minor little domestic drama unfolding and yeah they um i think i think they knew me knew of me from chicago theater or maybe had seen some of those films i had done and so great i got a spot on a, on episode of homicide and had a good time also it was directed by john mcnaughton who i had just worked with in a in a film he did um uh with Luke Perry and Ashley Judd, what's it called? Simple Life, or uh, um, can't think of it right now. It's about these bank robbers living in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, it'll come to me. Everybody knows it. Um, 
So anyway, McNaughton said, yeah, I, I like this guy. Let's put him in the episode. So when I came to do the Wire auditions, um, yeah, I had a huge leg up, you know, emotionally and psychologically because I knew these guys liked my work and had, had chosen me before for a part. Um, but then it was just, you know, uh, cranking it out in the, in the audition room. You know, it was, it was, you know, I got, I was my way in the door, I think was that past experience, but, um, I just, I think I just got really lucky and was the, like the kind, you know, it was what they, what David Simon kind of had in his mind for that part. Cause I know he had a lot of his choice of a lot of great actors, you know, who could have done far, far better than me and pl plenty of the scenes I had to end up acting, but you know, it's not, you know, he's not just looking for the best actor for this or that scene. He's looking for what he sees for that character. And I think luckily he had my had faith in my, my chops as an actor to consider me as one of the top contenders. And then I, you know, I just did the same couple of scenes for him in, you know, audition and then a callback and then a, another callback. And thank God it was, as you said, just sort of early HBO because to get a regular part on a series uh, of any scale, like a network level thing, you know, you do these stupid pilot auditions where you have to audition in front of studio executives who are eating their lunch and stuff. <laughs> you know, it can be a real uh, nightmare. And, um, and this was so down to earth. I mean, it was kind of like Chicago theater all over again. We were just in a, you know, little casting director's office in lower Manhattan um videotaping the scenes and giving me notes clark johnson was there because he was he had directed the pilot and was which i my character didn't appear in and he was going to direct the first episode so he was a part of the casting team him and bob colesbury and david simon and alexa fogel the casting director so um yeah i just kind of did my best to really listen to their directions and and you know, and pay attention to the script. But all I had was these two strange scenes. You know, I had no idea what kind of a show this was going to be. In fact, the scenes for my audition was Presbalewski, my character, um, in in episode uh, one or two, where they go to the housing project and raise hell. They're like, you know, we're going to push these. You know, forget what the uh, the top brass is saying. We're we're good. we know how to fight the drug the drug crimes and we're gonna just go you know he starts taking pot shots and people throwing shit out the window and it's just a complete disaster um and then and at the at the beginning of that scene he, I'm, I'm screaming profanities and i end up um cracking this kid across the face with my pistol and injuring him you know so i'm like oh, wow, this is an intense show. It's just uh, lots of, you know, violence and uh, cops and robbers. You know, I had no idea. I mean, I knew David Simon had um, something up his sleeve and had an idea of how brilliant he was. But I didn't know what the show was going to be, per se, you know. I didn't know it was going to end up being <laughs> what it ended up being. I had that scene to do, and then this short scene where it was episode five of the first season where my character is uh, showing the others on the detail that he's a part of, uh, that he's figured out how to crack the code that the dealers are using on their pagers. Mm 
Um, you know, and everyone's sort of seen him as a bit of a numbskull after pulling this stunt at the housing project. So he's, he's um, not exactly uh, anybody's first pick for um, <laughs> cleaning things up in Baltimore. But this is the beginning of this arc that lasts several seasons where, you know, he's, he, he proves to have some real um, strengths and, and skills that come in handy. So did those scenes amazingly got the part and had a, had a, just a, you know, maybe unlike what I said a minute ago, maybe that, that was a real watershed for me career wise. Cause it was just, you know, everybody talks about it as a watershed for the, for, for TV. And, and then, so it was for all of us too. I think everybody just appreciated right from the beginning that we were, we were really lucky to be part of something really special. When did you, get the feeling like you and the cast that it was going it is something special because there's great shows you watch and all of a sudden they disappear and you go oh my god but what was was there a a defining moment where you went you know that you said to yourself this is going to go down in tv history as you know one of the best shows ever well it's hard to say i mean strangely even like maybe in the second season when still only a handful of people were watching the show i mean it, it was it was loved from the beginning and got got good reviews and everything but it you know it it was the the accumulation over time i think of of several seasons and being able to go you know buy buy seasons on dvd and watch them that's what enabled more and more people to to watch it but there were people, there were critics and stuff saying best show on TV, things like that, you know, from really early, maybe even, you know, the first or second season. But that just doesn't compute. I mean, when you hear that um, and you're a part of a show that has, you know, 30 actors in it, it's it's so unusual. You know, it's huge cast, no huge stars, no huge um, media presence you know there's not a massive you know ad campaign and and stars going on the talk shows and stuff it just kind of doesn't compute you know best show on tv what, what we're just you know this is this is chicago theater you know we're, we're like we're doing this really gritty really complex and un-tv like show with very challenging plots and and very uh, intensely realistic storylines um so I, I you know to tell you the truth it was a lot more of a a personal feeling to start off just like this will let alone leave aside what it'll go down on in, in history uh, this will be my favorite show of all time because look what i'm doing look what i'm look what i get to watch not even considering what i get to do at work but going home going to the TV every Sunday night to watch the next episode. I, I was watching something that I felt was, you know, just astonishing. And, and, um, and so, yeah, it was a, a strange kind of growing <laughs> appreciation of, of what it meant for the, you know, for, for history or for, for the industry. Now, as the show went on, did you have any input in your character? Because your character, I mean, leaves completely i mean did you have any input or did they come to you and say what do you think about this i mean because your character you know 
had nepotism on his side and just, you know, this thing. And then he actually proved himself with, you know, as you said, with the firing finger up tapping and all that. But did, did you know at any did they ever tell you, like, before the season, okay, here's where Prez is going to go? Or I mean, or did you just go into every season going, I have no idea what's going to happen? No, you know, I didn't have any idea and absolutely didn't have any uh, input. I mean, I called David Simon sort of more like Joel and Ethan Cohen. You know, he, he's got it all wrapped up. And he's got a team of writers and producers that he works really closely with, and they, they have input. Um but it's in the end, it's it's um, it's not something he's uh, you know he learns from his cast. I think he he's he he respects everybody on the team, you know, including the crew. So I, I think he, he he there may be indirect inputs, but not sort of like consulting or then making suggestions about about plot developments or anything like that. However. It, it may have been uh, an aspect of my my um, my own history that impacted my being cast, uh, my part going the way it did. And what I mean is, they knew they wanted one character to be to take them into the fourth season and be uh, on the ground in the schools. So I think they probably had three or four characters. It could have been somebody from the streets. It could have been somebody from the, the uh, top brass of the police. It could have been somebody from another aspect or another storyline, you know, who becomes a school teacher and becomes their way of telling season, season four and the things they want to go into about public schools in Baltimore. Um, and, you know, no one can, say even if we asked david simon how he made that choice uh, you know who, who could you know who, who knows what how these things emerge the fact is though my wife was a school teacher in baltimore in the identical situation that prez my character ends up being in she was uh, a teach for america teacher for two years at booker t washington middle school in baltimore which is one of two school two actual schools um, that they kind of based their their um, fictional school on Tillman, uh, the other school, the other source school being the one that Edward Burns, the writer, um, Ed Burns, our 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 co-writer, um, had also taught in. So you know, I my whole lens on the wire, even for the first three seasons when I was a cop, was my wife's experience having been a school teacher teaching the very kids that are, you know, being depicted in the show as the, as the, um, as the subject of some of the plot lines. So, so I thought about that and talked to them about it and shared, you know, experiences and Cora did too. And Cora would meet the, the writers of the wire and, you know, talk about Baltimore. It was all about her experience as a teacher. So I can't help but think you know, that, that, that that may have given a, um, some, some affinity you know between my character and this this faded path for the series to go into the schools i mean that was their idea and they had planned that all along but if if they started seeing me you know and hearing these conversations about the schools at the same time um you know it might have just said yeah maybe that makes sense let's take him there anyway i had no idea what was happening until like 
weeks before the end of season three. You know, they needed to kind of warn me that something serious was going to happen at the end of season three and it was going to result in me leaving the police force. And I thought, oh, is this the conversation where they say, you know, you're done. But they said, um, you're going to be something else. Something else is going to happen. You're still going to be on the show next year. And uh, I think, I don't think I've ever said this out loud. I, I figured it out and I think I asked them and they said, Ed, you know, I know you're, you've been a teacher and is this, are we, is the show going to go into the schools and am I going to be like a teacher or something? And I got a kind of ambiguous answer. They hated to give anything away, <laughs> but I, I got the idea of what we were going to do. And I think in one of my last scenes in, in those last few episodes of season three, I grabbed, um, a coffee mug that says proud to be a teacher or something <laughs> and use that in a scene in the police day in our uh, detail office, just as a little nod to my future self. Um, but it was a complete surprise until that time. And then when it happened, I was just thrilled because I did have so much, uh, uh, so much concern and, and interest in that side of the life in Baltimore and, and of my wife's experience there. So it was really, really gratifying and 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 uh interesting to be a part of that story now after the wire ends you know you're looking at your career you worked on this critically acclaimed show you worked with the Coen brothers you worked with cameron crow i mean right there it's like like a triple crown of you know it's it's like it's a trifecta of holy shit you know like holy shit as a young actor when no one says oh i'm gonna be on this show that's considered one of the 10 best shows ever and, and brilliant writers you know Oscars. What is your mind frame after that? Like, do you sit there and go, okay, it's going to be hard to get better work? I mean, it, I mean, what do you, what were you thinking as you, you branched into the second part of your life? You know, I was already, you know, let's see, coming up on 35 years old or something, you know, so I, I, I didn't have, I was far, far past the idea that, you know, as great as it might be touted, you know, this series was not going to, you know, I wasn't going to start getting a lot of offers. I did get parts, you know, a guest spot on this or a guest spot on that by a director, you know, where a director said, oh, I, I love The Wire and I love your work on The Wire. And, you know, I might not have gotten that guest spot if I if that work hadn't been there. So, yeah, it led to more work, um, but not in the sense of like, oh, you're I was groomed by HBO and now they're going to give me my own show or give me another show where I'm a regular on HBO. You know, you just go back to square one. All actors will tell you that. I mean, there are so, so few actors who really, you know, have... Uh, lots of choices and can choose between this project and that. And, you know, the rest of us are, and I say even, even admitting what, that what you say is true, that I had had some dream parts, you know, and some great opportunities. Um, and, and that, you know, I, I still, you know, I still felt like I'm, you know, it's back to square one. Every time I got one of those jobs, I ended up, you know, pounding the pavement for months or a year before getting my next job. You know, I've always had lots and lots of 
time off, uh, much more time off than I, than I wish I had, you know, wishing I worked more, wishing I had more things to choose from. So, you know, the wire gave me a huge amount of, of, uh, satisfaction definitely gave me some amount of cachet you know because so many people saw it and admired it that you know it's just that many more people who will know me when i go into an audition room and director or producer can say oh yeah we've seen we've seen this guy i'm not you know an unknown quantity so those are just huge huge gifts um but i've always just kind of you know gone back to square one and waited for the next thing to come along and hoped something great would come along. But I don't have a sense of like where my career is going or, 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 you know, what my career path is or what type of actor I am or this or that. It's just uh, always kind of waiting to see what, what's around the corner, you know, and thank God if, uh, a lot of great things have come. Well, what is it like when, as you said, you know, you're out pounding the pavements. What is it like when you leave, when you're on the show like The Wire, and it seems like a very tight-knit group because you're there from the beginning and then it builds, and then you go in as a day player. Like, you go in because there's not that camaraderie. And I, yeah. you know, I've heard stories, you know, like what people said, you know, if people were on NCIS, Mark Harmon was the best to work for. You know, people said he would always treat his actors like, prime and then i've heard there's some sets you go in and sort of dicks but what is it like for you when you're walking in because you are known you were but you were so used to that camaraderie is it hard like that those gigs in the very beginning when you like went back to just being a guest star i'm used to sitting there and getting the best a great parking lot and a lot i mean what was it like when you started doing them and you were the basically the new kid in class but you're like an athlete who transferred from a great team uh, to come to this team to play for a few games. Yeah, it's well. That's a good analogy because the good, the good side of it is, at that level of production, you know, network series or a good cable series or whatever. The level of production is so high that you know you are going to another team. You know, you're you're, you're still going to another team in the big leagues. You know, so so you know certain things are going to be reliable yeah some personality things might change and this or that but you know the you know you know how they're gonna make the thing happen and you know what's expected of you to get there and do your part um the yeah the camaraderie part and the the sort of um being part of an ensemble that always changes from 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 show to show so yeah i mean i've had i've had really fun experiences doing one episode gigs where where you know it, it was a good writing and it was a challenging part and uh, the actors and the crew all treated me like a member of the team and stuff so those things can still happen there isn't like a um i wouldn't say there's a big you know any kind of like letdown or disappointment the, the thing that can that can be a little bit distracting is um I don't know, like sometimes I, I guess it's not it's not the, the directors or usually the directors and actors totally get it and value actors and treat you as, you know, just as important as the, the leads on the show. You know, if you're doing a guest part, they, they know the work is important. They know that rehearsal is important if they can rehearse a take before they shoot it and treat it as something, you know, that your work is is. Uh, 
something that requires care. The thing, <laughs> the thing that doesn't always spread is things like hair and makeup or, you know, you know, the little things that you need to just feel like you can concentrate on the work. You know what I mean? You can get to, um, because those poor people, you know, those, those, those crafts, uh, people like, uh, hair and makeup people, you know, they're worked really hard and they've got a lot of lead actors who've got big personalities that they've got to take care of and that they see every day. If you're there for a day or two, you know, you're not going to have that conversation about, you know, what kind of glasses your character might wear or, you know, whether you really need a haircut before you do the show when they're already just kind of combing it down and saying, great, you're ready to go. You know, so, you know, that's just, you know, it comes with the territory of being, like you said, being just kind of a, a, a day player or whatever. Um, but that shit doesn't matter that much. I mean, when, when you get out of the makeup and hair trailer and you get to the set, you know, you're still just learning. You're just trying to do your craft and go toe to toe with your castmates and keep track of how they're shooting the scene and make, you know, doing something that makes sense and something that doesn't suck and something that, you know, you might learn something from. Well, no, you did. You also, I mean, I was going to say, after The Wire, you also did Treme. And there were HBO shows. But then you, you found yourself, you know, getting network gigs. What's the difference when, of the, you know, HBO shows, you know, they have, well, now they're, you can say whatever you want. You know, you're not dealing with the people going, oh, you can't say this or you can't say that, you know. What is it like when you're going from, it's basically, I compare it to like playing, you know, a pickup game of hoops, and then all of a sudden you're going into a Catholic school basketball team, you know, with, with, <laughs> with like, you know, it's the thing. What is it like when you, when you crossed over back to network TV? I don't know. I think every, every show is different, the mood and the, the climate, you know. I, I didn't, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I don't notice it that much, to be honest. You know, when I look back and say, you know, look at what the content of The Wire was and the language we used, you know, sure, that's like day and night compared to, um, you know, some, some network crime show that's a, you know, story each week and a big star at the top of the the cast list, you know, but I don't know the, the, the level of production and the, and the, and the, your preoccupation as an actor with just sort of doing something good and interesting kind of makes that other stuff kind of fade away. Now tell me about American rust that, uh, that was one of the things that's, that's, you know, it's me and my wife started watching it. And that's funny. That's when I got back to you a while ago because we had talked about doing it. And then once Corona, when you're doing the show, then once Corona happens, and I know you have children, so you're probably homeschooled. I mean, it's just everything was crazy. And then I saw you on the uh, credits. I said, oh, my God, I got to follow up with that guy. But tell me about mm -hmm. how that show came about. And once again, you know, you're working with just talent. I mean, Jeff Daniels is just a beast. I mean, what, I agree. what what is that like? I mean, did they call you? Was it an audition? Or, you know, how did that come about? And were you really happy with the results? I was extremely happy. I, I really, um, in the course of it, I read, before we shot, I read the novel and I really liked the writing and the, and the story. It's about Pittsburgh or outside of Pittsburgh, you know, small Pennsylvania towns where there's 
steel industry is gone and there's opioid problems and small town drama and um, um, again uh, sort of um, law enforcement <laughs> disaster where I'm uh, not very effective and uh, um, bad luck cop so what happened was I auditioned for a part. Oh, it was so great because I had auditioned for a part. I'm trying to remember now the part. I think it was for, um, I won't say, but it was a different role in the show and I didn't get it. And they're like, yeah, they're really just going a different direction. Uh, that's a, that's a line we love to hear and we hear a lot. Uh, they're going a different direction. And so I sent, emails to the two writer producers who both had turned out to be people I knew and had worked with. Um, it's just this, you know, this, that's the one relief, even though I, I say it's always back to the drawing board and um, can't count on anything. The one relief is just time. You know, the more time you put in and the more shows you do, the more people, you know, and the more um, people, hopefully people you have on your side. So um, Adam Rapp and um, um, uh, Futterman, Dan Futterman, were the two uh, writers on the show. They had adapted the novel and gotten with uh, Jeff Daniels to plan this amazing eight-part series based on the book, um, Rust. So I just wrote them emails. I said, oh, man, it was so great to... Um, be up for this part it's too bad it's do you have any other parts <laughs> so so that's kind of what happened i mean i just kind of in, insinuated myself and, and i think if, if i hadn't i don't know they might have they might have thought of me for this part or they might not have um so that was you know i i, I do suck at, at networking and promoting myself but this was one case where you know it's pretty painless because i like these guys and i know that they like me and they're just nice guys and i just was able to write a very informal email and say oh man let me know if some if there's any other parts in there and it turned out there was so um i ended up playing this just you know it's, it's just a couple of scenes it's very very small part i mean one scene with jeff daniels where he's you know reading me the riot act because i'm doing something really stupid as a cop and he's my boss um and then a scene later where i'm involved in a, a drug deal and end up being victim of a crime which i won't go into because it's great to see the story unfold but um you know it's it's not huge screen time but it's one of those things like you know like you know the grapes of wrath or something where i was in the great broadway adaptation of an amazing american novel would I have a big part? No, there were like 50 actors in the show. And, you know, it was a great part. I was a member of the Jode family, but, you know, it was being a part of the ensemble, which made it really something meaningful and important. So that, that, that this was another one of those great opportunities. I loved that show and I loved working with Jeff Daniels. You're right. He's, he's just a really strong actor and really, and he, you know, he, he cares and is so smart that he's going to make sure, you know, that a show like American Rust that's that's about something, you know, relationships that are thorny and and complex and social issues like 
the opioid problem and um, and moral and ethical you know complexities um, that that you're not going to just whip off a show like that you know you're going to make it carefully not that you know they hired great directors and everything so but I know you know you could see that he was kind of riding her you know that he was he was he wasn't directing and he wasn't calling the shots but he he was you know kind of the moral authority or the or the, the center of the the moral life of the show I mean, that's the kind of guy he is just doesn't as, as an actor that's cool to see so what's in your future i mean you, 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 you look at your career and you know you've been regulars on shows you've, you've you've had a great body of work you've worked with some amazing people i mean it's one of those things you know, looking back, I'd say this has been great. And of course, you know, as you said, every job is every job. But what's next for you? Do you have any 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 gigs coming up that people can look out for, or what's going on? Well, um, you know, I do keep going back to Steppenwolf very, very rarely because it's so hard to get out and do a play. Um, they brought a production to this has happened to me twice. Steppenwolf has brought a production to Broadway and lo- and lost an actor that was in the Chicago production, which I couldn't have done because I don't live there anymore and I have kids and everything. So suddenly it was, well, we're going to be in New York doing a show a little closer to home and um, and there's a part for you. So I did um, Linda Vista just before the shut pandemic shutdown on Broadway. And I did um, Buried Child, the Sam Shepard play way back in, in like, 1996 or something. Um, so I'm always looking out and staying in touch with Steppenwolf. Their um, last play I went back and did was The Pillow Man. Um, but I've done, which is, you know, maybe 10 years ago or something. So it's not uh, it's not a frequent occurrence, but I always want to go back to Chicago. I love it there. I am going to go back and do a workshop of a play at Steppenwolf, which I really look forward to. Frank Galati, who directed and adapted The Grapes of Wrath for us, lo, these many decades ago, um, has a new play that he's writing. Um, all I can say is that I'm going to be, you know, I don't know if I'll end up being this production or if there will be a production, but just to work with Frank uh, around a table or getting some scenes on their feet just to help him in the process of playwriting for four or five days in the fall. So that's happening. Um, I, uh, um, I'm all, always hounding Alex Thompson, who directed me in a, um, this movie, St. Francis, which was one of my most recent film jobs and, and one of my favorite films. It's a really great, sort of like off the map I was mentioning. It's a, just a really thoughtful and funny and, and, and touching movie. Um, so if Alex has, uh, something coming up, then I'm going to do my best to make sure I've got something in that. Um, um, and he's the kind of guy who really loves working with, you know, an ensemble of actors and stuff, likes, likes casting people over again. It's the way he works. Um, what else? Um, my wife the former Baltimore school teacher is now a law professor. She's going to go do a fellow. She's on a sabbatical this year up here at Syracuse University Law School, where we live. She's doing a year off and is going to do a, a Fulbright in Oslo, Norway for the fall. So I am currently watching this amazing series, uh, Occupied, which is on Netflix. And it's takes it's a Norwegian series, takes place in Norway, you know, 
never even seen a Norwegian TV show. Now, now I'm going there and there's this amazing series on everybody should watch it. It's so good. It's about Russia. Guess what? Invading and occupying Norway. Um, so uh, my goal is to meet all those actors and, you know, <laughs> land myself apart on a, a Norwegian series while I'm there next fall. Um, apart from that, man, I'm just playing the field. I got some, some time to kill before Norway comes along. Not to mention I've got to find a house with a wheelchair accessible for my son and uh, find a school to put my kids in. So, you know, whether that all comes to pass, it remains seen but that's that's the rough draft um otherwise when i head up with you i'm gonna go tape an audition <laughs> well and thank you for coming on people go go look up jim true frost just look at his work and go look at his work go back and watch singles go back and watch all this stuff if you ever if you ever watched the wire my wife hasn't watched the wire i still get mad at her about that but i'm like yeah you know, <laughs> i love her you know I, I watched it before we were dating so it's okay so people uh go check out jim uh, check out my website, coopertalk.net. You can find 900 episodes there. You can also email me at cooper, cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter, at coopertalk. Instagram, at coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.